Hey everyone, welcome to episode 75 of the Julia LaRoche Show. Today's guest is Mike Maloney. He is the founder and CEO of goldsilver.com. He is also the author of the best-selling book, The Guide to Investing in Gold and Silver, which came out just months before the global financial crisis, where in that book, he had warned about the cracks appearing in the financial system, especially around real estate. Well, now Mike is out with his newest book, The Great Gold and Silver Rush of the 21st Century, where he presents a lot of evidence as to why he sees another financial crisis coming, one that will dwarf what we experienced back in 2008. He also explains why we could see the unleashing of a massive bull market in gold and silver. I really enjoyed this wide ranging conversation with Mike. We covered everything from the macroeconomic backdrop to the debt situation, the recent banking crisis, uh, precious metals, of course, and cryptocurrencies and much, much more. And I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Please be sure to hit that like button and hit that notification bell so you won't miss any future episodes. And if you're listening to the show, please be sure to leave a rating and a review so you can help me bring in some more amazing guests for some long form conversations. Again, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Mike Maloney. Mike Maloney, founder and CEO of goldsilver.com, which is an education focused retailer of precious metals. Mike is also an investor, researcher, I should know a best-selling author. You have two books, uh, The Great Gold and Silver Rush of the 21st Century, which is your newest book, and of course your previous book, The Guide to Investing in Gold and Silver, Protect Your Financial Future, and also an amazing YouTube channel, Gold Silver, uh, which you feature this incredible series called The Hidden Secrets of Money, which I highly recommend for the folks watching and listening to go check out. Mike, it is so great to meet you and welcome you on the show. Thank you so much for joining me. It's great to be here. To start, I would love to kind of start with a big picture, the macro view for you today, if you could frame that up for folks watching and listening. Okay, uh, first of all, so macro view, but uh, first of all, I just wanna let everybody know the book is not easy to find on Amazon. They, I'm, I'm being shadow banned, basically. Two days after the launch of the book, they changed the book listing to a video game, and they took away something called browse nodes. The book is supposed to be listed under books, business and money, investing, commodities, metals. That's the browse nodes. The book has no browse nodes. So if you type in investing in gold or uh, how to buy gold or whatever, it's not going to come up. Uh, you actually have to type the title in the search bar and the search bar should be set to all departments. So uh, at, it seems like, you know, we've been battling against Amazon now for uh, over two months trying to get all of these things corrected and they just won't do it. it well, I'll it, make sure that we link it. Yeah, it's actually being shadow banned. So this is information that the powers that be do not want you to have. Uh, and uh, so the macro, where the world is today, well, the world is drowning in debt and everybody's talking about the debt. It's, it's a common topic among uh, just about every newsletter writer and analyst out there, except nobody's asking the important question, the moral question, to whom do we owe? Who had 
uh, 300% of world GDP to loan the world. I mean, the, the equivalent of that amount of wealth to loan us. Uh, who had, you know, the, the U.S. is like, uh, it's also over three years of uh, GDP that it owes back more than all the goods and services, the output for, an, for, for more than three years is owed back to somebody. Who had that amount of wealth to loan us? And the answer is nobody. The, uh, if the whole half of the first chapter and uh, other parts of the book focus on the difference between currency and money. And people think that the stuff in their wallet is money. People think that uh, the stuff in their bank account is money. And it's not. It's national fiat currencies are what we use globally. There is no nation on earth that uses money. One of the, you know, all the way back to Aristotle. So back to uh, 530 BC, uh, the definition, he was one of the first, he was the first person to describe the functions of money. And one of the attributes that money has to have is that it's got to be a store of value. And if there is inflation, it, that means that the currency is not storing value. It's not money. Uh, it is, we actually live in a very evil monetary system uh, where uh, what backs the currency is parts of our future lifetimes that have been sold off basically. Uh, the, what backs the current, the, the paper, uh, Federal Reserve notes in your wallet purse or cash register or whatever, those paper notes, if you look at the Federal Reserve's website, those are backed by U.S. Treasuries. What's a U.S. Treasury? The Treasury, it's an IOU. The Treasury borrows a trillion dollars and they promise over a 30-year period they're going to pay you back $2 trillion dollars. Where do they get that? They get that from taxing you in the future. And uh, your taxes, that's part of your life, basically, that has been sold off. The hours that you have to work to pay those taxes for 30 years going out into the future, that has been sold off. That's what backs the currency. If you look at the Federal Reserve's balance sheet, the liabilities are the currency that it creates, the note, paper notes, and the assets that back those paper notes are U.S. Treasuries and some mortgage-backed securities. So what backs the notes is your tax payments and the mortgage-backed securities. However, if your mortgage is 30 years, it's 30 years of your life working and paying your mortgage and 30 years of your life working and paying your taxes. And so you have been monetized. In the book, I say the entire world monetary system can be summed up in just three in, in just six letters. I O U Y O U. I O U U. Now the world would not be in this situation if we used money. Uh, when we used gold and you know, I'm not for gold and silver necessarily. I'm just for something that is fair and moral. And the system that we have, where uh, they have monetized our lifetimes. You know, if, if you go to a bank, oh, let me back up just a little. You know, you asked for the macro view of the economy. Everything has been pushed into hyper bubbles. Uh, um, those bubbles are currently in the uh, process of unwinding. But what happens usually 
is that this starts out, uh, you know, we've we've gone into a bubble and this starts out slow. And then uh, we've, we've already seen these uh, first bank failures, but we've also seen some shotgun weddings of uh, banks being taken over by much larger banks, the biggest being Credit Suisse in, in, in Switzerland. Uh, that was a globally uh, systemic, too big to fail bank, but it was a day away for a day or two away from being taken over by regulators, and it would have been on the list of bank failures, and uh, and so this is something that's unfolding now that is far larger than 2008. But getting back to why this has happened is is because we. Our, our monetary system is something that is based off of fraud and theft. Uh, if nine, nine out of 10 of every dollar that exists, nine out of 10 of all of the dollars are bank credit. They're invented by the banks. Not be, they're not imagined into existence by the Federal Reserve. They're imagined into existence by the banks. Uh, the way most currency is created, 90% of it is you find a house or a car that you want to buy. You go into the bank and you say, I want to buy this house. I need to borrow a million dollars. And the bank looks at the, the collateral, the house, and they say, yes, that's worth more than a million dollars at the current purchasing power of the dollar. Uh, and they look at you and say, well, I think this guy's going to be able to, you know, this girl's going to be able to pay me back. And so uh, they uh, then imagine a million dollars into your checking account. They just type digits into your checking account. Uh, it's all a balance sheet trick. You've got assets and you've got liabilities. The liability is the currency that they imagine into your account. That currency is just digits that the Bank of England correctly states. Those digits are reminders that the bank owes you IOUs. <laughs> but you pay the seller and now those currency digits are out in circulation. So my, where, where did those currency digits that they invented get their purchasing power? This is the important thing that people just don't think about. So they create this loan that you sign. The, the currency digits are imagined into existence. They've got an asset and a liability. The liability goes, gets paid into your checking account. You buy the house from the seller and that million dollars is now out in circulation. That's it's part of the currency supply. It inflates the currency supply, stealing a microscopic amount of purchasing power from every other dollar in existence because the quantity of goods and services in the society did not go up. The quantity of currency that is used to buy and sell those goods and services did go up. And so each unit of currency has just a little less purchasing power. That's what we call inflation. And so that house is being, the, the bank is committing a fraud by uh, you thinking that you're borrowing something from the bank when they just actually imagine it into existence with this balance sheet hat trick, uh, you know, this sleight of hand. Uh, and then when you buy the house, it sets in motion a, an exchange of something for nothing. It's a theft. So all of the purchasing power is, uh, is, is facilitated by stealing a microscopic amount from every unit of currency. And that causes, when, when the uh, currency supply increases, 
prices go up. And so it's stolen from everybody. The, the, the newly created currency is paid for uh, by everybody through higher prices in the future. Uh, so it's a, it's a fraud and it's theft. And uh, both systems are an enslavement, whether it's the Federal Reserve creating currency. When the Federal Reserve creates currency, uh, they decide to buy something and they just type the digits into existence to buy that thing. And that thing is, is because of the Federal Reserve Act, it's restricted to something that's guaranteed as to the principal and interest by the U.S. government, mostly U.S. Treasury bonds. So they type numbers into existence and they buy U.S. Treasuries, which is cash flow from your future taxation. This is, it's an evil monetary system. Now, when we used gold, I'm sorry I'm going on so no, long. No, we, we don't have rules on the show. I've had guests answer for 22 minutes, so keep going. It's interesting. When we used gold, uh, the, uh, if you wanted to buy that house, you had to save up a bunch of gold coins or the bank had to loan you those coins. Uh, and those coins, the amount of time, effort, work, to prospect, find a claim, turn that claim into a mine, mine the ore, and out of the ore, you, only, you have to move 30 tons of dirt to get one ounce of gold. So it's a lot of work, and gold is very rare, and uh, they can't print it. So, and then the gold has to be refined, poured into bars, and then minted into coins. That value, that cost of, of uh, producing this, is equivalent to the work that you've got to put in to get to, to save that stack of coins, which is equivalent to the work that is put in by chopping down the trees, turning them into lumber, uh, digging up all the cement, uh, digging up the ore to make the copper and so on, paying people to construct this home. And so it's a fair trade all the way across instead of the home being purchased with nothing. The, 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 Modern monetary system is based on fraud, theft, and enslavement. Gold and silver are called honest money for a reason. They come into existence honestly. They do not enslave. Now, I'm not necessarily for gold and silver. I'm for something that is moral and fair. And if we had that, the world would not be drowning in debt. Uh, it is, and you have to ask, to whom do we owe this debt? We owe it to uh, people and entities that we have given a license to legally counterfeit and commit fraud and theft. And they get to ride around in limousines and have bodyguards, while most of the rest of the population is running as fast as they can just to, to stay in place, to keep up. And so it's, it's a evil monetary system. Sorry, I went on so long. <laughs> that's the the entire answer to your question well all good and again um feel free to take as long as you'd like again like that's why you wouldn't be able to do this interview on live television because you only have a few minutes so um you make a few distinctions in there like around terminology or the language like distinguishing between currency and money and i know you write about that um and also some of the terminology that you use explaining it within the book um, there's a lot of areas we could go into, um, whether it's, you know, what these bubbles look like or what a fair system. I'm just trying to think where I want to go here. Cause there was a lot in the answer. Let's you kind know, of, you know what, I'm getting ready for a live presentation that I'm going to be making in a couple of days. 
and I was just getting uh, some of my little props ready. So hang on one second here and let me show you a few things here. When, you know, if, if, if you make the assertion that dollars, euros, yen, pounds, and, and so on, yuan, are not money, that they are currency, and there's a difference, and you say that to somebody and they say, oh, no, 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 my currency is, is money. The, the bills that I use, that my country uh, uses money. Then you have to ask them, well, do you believe that money should be a store of value? And everybody says, yes, this is one of the primary functions of money. It's not, unless it stores value, it is not money, period. Then uh, if, they, if they say yes, then you ask them, well, is there inflation? And if they say, well, yes, there's inflation. <laughs> Those two things are mutually exclusive. Uh, so this is a uh, 1922 large format. You can see uh, in these old large format bills, they, this is what the uh, new currency looks like. The large format bills, that's the way all of the US bills were. But it's a 1922. It says that there have been, this certifies that there have been deposited in the United States, in the treasury of the United States of America, $20 in gold coin, payable to the bearer upon demand. Pay, so it's a promissory note. This is a note. It's an IOU. IOU what? IOU this. IOU money. Uh, this is not the money. This was a promise to pay money. Otherwise, it wouldn't say that it's, you know, that there have been deposited in the treasury and, and that this is payable in gold to the bearer upon demand. Uh, now, the difference between currency and money, uh, this was worth a, a $20 bill used to buy this. In other words, the US dollar was worth 1 20th of an ounce of gold. And so you got, this was just, it was, it was a $20.67. An old gold piece like this is just under one ounce, just slightly. So $20.67 per ounce. Today, the same amount of gold costs this. You, it, it's $2,000. Did the gold coin change or did this change? This lost 99% of its purchasing power during the Fed. Now, money has to be a store of value. And this goes all the way back to Aristotle. It's got to be a store of value. Now, the rate at which the value vanishes, the, the uh, purchasing power of, of a currency declines, does it really matter? If, if you were working to uh, save up and buy, buy something, and that work took uh, you eight hours, one day's worth work to buy a certain thing, and then you got paid currency and tomorrow it wouldn't buy anything, does it really matter whether it takes a hundred years or a hundred uh, weeks or a hundred days or one day before the purchasing power vanishes. What is, you know, some people will say, no, 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 the dollar is money. Where is the dividing line as far as the, uh, you know, how fast does it have to lose purchasing power to prove that it is not money? This is a, uh, a Pegasus coin from, uh, roughly 500 BC and fourth century BC. Uh, and 
the silver in this, if you melt it down, by the way, this is the Pegasus. Uh, we, I used to have a, uh, my own series of uh, silver rounds. This is a 10 ounce Pegasus uh, coin that we, you have to call it a, a round. You can't call it a coin unless it's minted by a government. Uh, but we were paying homage to the great coins of antiquity. But if you melt down this silver Pegasus, it'll buy about as much stuff, loaves of bread or whatever, uh, as it did uh, 2,500 years ago. Name a fiat currency that can do that. Uh, now, this is a U.S. silver certificate that promises to pay uh, the, the bearer of this certificate, one silver dollar. Now, when I was a kid, uh, silver dollars, you know, we lived in Los Angeles. It's close to Las Vegas. Vegas was where all the silver dollars were. But um, uh, when I was, there was a difference. You could tell that there was a difference. Uh, when I was a kid, the tooth fairy <laughs> left a silver dollar under my pillow not a paper dollar. That was like getting cheated, a paper dollar. Birthday gifts, silver dollars were something special. They were money. The currency in circulation was a promise to pay money, a promise that was broken. And so there is a fundamental difference of currency versus money. That's uh, what the beginning of the book uh, teaches. And then we I show uh, what this phony uh, illusion, this monetary system that is an illusion, uh, a magic trick, what it has gotten us into. Mm -hmm. uh, we owe somebody, I mean, the, the U.S. owes somebody $31 trillion. And it's actually, it's not, you know, we are enslaved by the bonds that, uh, that the Federal Reserve uh, buys. But, and the bonds have sold off our future. That's the $31 trillion. But uh, um, the, the US total debt between uh, public, private, corporate is 90, about 91 to $93 trillion, that range. The currency supply, <laughs> the entire currency supply is a little bit over $20 trillion. So we've got 20, we've got a, a $93 trillion bill that we need to pay. And we have, we only have $20 trillion in existence to pay it with. Mm. How did we get into this situation? It can't happen if you're using honest money instead of fraudulent enslaving uh, currency that is, is created through theft. Mm. Yeah. The it's math a, doesn't work uh, out there. No, it doesn't. It doesn't work out. It's because there's uh, people that are legally allowed to counterfeit and do this magic trick on us. It's all balance sheet accounting. So let so. me ask you this, because that's the system we have. Um, the fiat system, I, everyone's on a fiat system. Um, so, and you talk about more fair moral system. Do you think that we will see that? Do you think there'll be some sort of reset or is this the system that we have to deal with? Well, the reset that is planned is a reset of going from evil to super evil. Uh, you know, they, the reset that is planned is to try before the whole system implodes. And because right now we are on a path uh, toward 
uh, an implosion. Um, it, if people lose confidence in the currency, then um, suddenly everything changes. The whole bank, if they lose confidence in the banking system, everything changes. And our society is so complex these days that we need uh, the banking system to work. We need the financial system to work. Uh, the um, if 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 the reset that they're hoping for, the powers that be, is through central bank digital currencies and gaining complete control over the population. And once you're trapped in that, then uh, as this as things get, the the system requires that there be ever more uh, currency being used to pay interest on the debt. We've got $93 trillion worth of debt, uh, $20 trillion in existence. The reason that that imbalance exists, and it couldn't exist if we were using money. That's the thing. If we were using real money that, was, that uh, took some sort of effort and it was a physical thing that comes into existence that that uh, took effort to create that was equal to the effort of something you're going to buy with it uh, if we used that there couldn't be this imbalance of 93 trillion dollars worth of debt and uh, only 20 tr 20 trillion in existence to pay that debt so if if they can come up with a central bank digital currency and get everybody on it then you're trapped if there is no other alternative, uh, then at that point, uh, they can do negative interest rate, they can in increase. The reason that taxes keep on going up is to be able to pay all of this interest that we have to borrow ourselves deeper and deeper and deeper into debt every year just to keep the game going. Because um, the currency that is, is created when you buy a house or the currency that is created when the Federal Reserve buys something, all of that currency is eventually self-extinguishing. The uh, currency that's, that's used to buy a house, uh, you borrow a million dollars into existence uh, when you sign a loan document. It's balance sheet accounting. The liabilities go into your checking account, you pay the seller, but then you work for 30 years and you pay that loan, at, for, for the first 15 years, you're paying mostly interest. The last 15 years, you're actually buying the house. But when you pay principal on that loan, the uh, dollars that you use to pay the principal meet the debt on the balance sheet and the loan goes down by a certain amount. How, how much you owe uh, goes down by a certain amount. And that amount is dollars that have vanished. So dollars are constantly uh, created and then they vanish. They create and they, loans are made and paid and made and paid. And when you pay off a loan, the dollars that were created when that loan was made vanish. So again, this goes back to a store of value. How can a dollar that appears and then vanish, vanishes store value? How is that possible? It's not. <laughs> the, the, there's no country on earth that uses money currently. But it's interesting that the world's central banks all have gold on their balance sheets and it's a tier one asset. Uh, not all of them, Canada, for instance, has none. Uh, um, but uh, it's a tier one asset, meaning that it is considered the safest, uh, most secure, uh, trustworthy asset. 
and the world's central banks are now buying record quantities mm -hmm. and yeah. it's the banks in the east not the not the not you know europe and uh, north america it's the banks in uh, Asia and that- What does that signal to you? Because right, they have been adding more gold. What does that signal to you? It signals that they're getting ready for something, but they're, this, they're trying to draw this process out as long as possible. China is the world's largest gold producer. It's illegal to export gold from China. They are also the world's largest buyer of gold. So they're the largest producer and the largest importer of gold in the world. Uh, why? Because um, they're getting ready for something. If the US, if, if the global monetary system starts to break down uh, and, you know, the world, I show in the book that the world, you know, used to be connected by trade. All of the countries would experience recessions, you know, within a few years of each other. And it was transmitted from one country to another through trade. Uh, today, they're all connected through all of these derivatives and, and, a, you know, uh, and a, a financial system that operates at the speed of light. And so when one country sneezes, everybody catches a cold. And so wherever, it doesn't matter if this crisis starts in Brazil or if it started, it looks like it already started here. We've had some very, very large bank failures already. Uh, and I believe that this is only the beginning. You know, when we look at the bank failures that have happened, uh, uh, Silvergate, uh, uh, Signature, uh, Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, and, First Republic. And First Republic was, yeah. And now those are banks that have been seized by regulators and then uh, it's sold to somebody like JP Morgan, who seems to be gobbling up the entire planet. Uh, the same thing happened with Bear Stearns. Bear Stearns went under, uh, but, and, and JP Morgan uh, took it over, but they did so before regulators seized it. Uh, with uh, Credit Suisse, that was done a day or so before regulators uh, seized it. Uh, when you look at a chart of the bank failures and the, the size of the banks, they're not including things like Lehman <laughs> many, many times. They show the biggest bank failure being Washington Mutual. And then these three bank failures that we've just had that come right after that, uh, Signature, Silicon Valley, and First Republic. Um, and uh, uh, if they included Credit Suisse, that would eclipse uh, Lehman. Credit Suisse was $1.7 trillion of assets at its peak. Uh, when it collapsed, it was at $1.4 trillion. So you're comparing that uh, against, I don't have the data here, but uh, I think it's like $300 billion or something, something uh, for Washington Mutual and uh, First Republic were in the threes. So you're talking about something that's many times larger. And so Lehman, and if you're a day away and a shotgun wedding is arranged by a government, uh, or a, a, uh, a central bank, uh, I would list that among the failures. That, that business no longer exists. It's been absorbed simply because it failed to do its job properly. And its job, you know, it's, this is becoming common knowledge. Uh, senator John Kennedy, uh, uh, the current Senator John Kennedy, uh, 
just said on a uh, mainstream media uh, uh, news outlet uh, that the banking system is basically a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> and if everybody shows up at once, it doesn't work. And you can make withdrawals on your iPhone now. You text message, uh, oh, this bank might be in trouble, get your currency out. Uh, a ban bank runs are real and uh, it shows the fraudulent nature of the monetary system. That's one of the things that it reveals. And the very fact that this is now uh, coming up in mainstream media shows that this shell game Ponzi scheme, you know, it's, uh, that this uh, trick is, uh, is becoming exposed. Um, and it allows a whole class of people to sort of ride on the backs of everybody that produces more than they consume. Everybody, every entrepreneur, uh, every business owner, everybody that is driving the economy forward, creating true wealth, uh, you know, goods and services, and creating jobs, uh, they get to ride for free. The people that uh, are granted the uh, license to commit fraud, theft, and enslavement by creating currency. Yeah. More things I want to ask you about. So at the top of the conversation, I was taking some notes and you mentioned like we're kind of staring at a crisis that you put it far larger than 2008. And when I mentioned you put out your first book, it was um, before the 2008 financial crisis. And even in that book, you were warning about um, the housing market in particular. When you look out, I want to hear... How do you think about the next crisis? What are the things that have you most concerned? I heard you talking about bubbles, um, not just kind of like an almost everything bubble. I want to hear more about that. And also I was kind of hearing maybe it was a bit more, it's more global this time because you said someone sneezes, everyone catches a cold. Right. Well, um, you know, every country that has uh, engaged in quantitative easing, has caused uh, assets to go into a bubble. The Federal Reserve is, is handcuffed by the Federal Reserve Act. Uh, they can only create currency by buying certain types of assets. They've got to be guaranteed by the US government as to principal and interest. And it says right in the uh, Federal Reserve Act that uh, they're allowed to buy US treasuries in anticipation of future tax collection. I mean, it says it right there. It's got a whole bunch of legal mumbo jumbo between these things. But in my book, I just highlighted, uh, you know, in red certain words and you can read it says exactly that. But what I see is that, yes, it's the almost everything bubble. Uh, certain assets that uh, they are not. One of the things that when you look around and you say, well, what has been pushed into a bubble by this expansion of the currency supply? And it's real estate and stocks and bonds. Uh, it's financial assets. Uh, the low interest rates push, pushed real estate into a bubble. Now they've raised the rates. Uh, what I'm worried about, we are going into what I call the Bernanke bust. Most people have sort of forgotten about Ben Bernanke, but he is, there is one person that caused all of this. Now, the reason I wrote my first book is I read Ben Bernanke's uh, paper, his, his speech from 2002 called Deflation, Making Sure It Doesn't Happen Here. Everybody should uh, do an internet search on that and uh, read that. And if you dissect it, you will see that he created a roadmap for everything that he would do in the future 
once we reach the zero bound. If you take interest rates down to zero and you can't go any lower because when you go uh, a certain percentage negative, people just start taking cash out of their uh, accounts so that uh, uh, they can maintain their purchasing power. So there's only, there is a zero bound level when it comes to interest rates. Uh, the, in that speech, he talked about the, that the Fed is not out of options once they reach the zero bound. And he described quantitative easing in there. He said they could expand their menu of assets that they purchased to include things like mortgage-backed securities. Everything they did in 08, there were like 10 things that came, seven out of 10 were actually done. The other three, they have yet to be done, but they will be in the next crisis. But when they papered that over and did not allow the markets to, to uh, cra continue crashing until they went to undervalued, they have to go, they, the stock market, according to PE ratios, touched fair value and then, and then they, with QE, pushed it back into a, a bubble and then Powell has pushed us into hyper bubbles. But this bust is all caused by Ben Bernanke's uh, ideas being put into practice. One of those ideas, you know, when they do, most 99.9% .9 of the population does not understand how the monetary system works, but <clears throat> there's actually uh, two forms of currency that the public uses. There's bank credit created by the banks and low interest rates is what has created so much new currency that went into the real estate market. Uh, and then there is the currency in circulation that we use, but there's another form of base currency that is created by the Federal Reserve, and that's bank reserves. And that's a whole separate monetary system that the public never sees, uses, or touches. It is uh, bank reserves are accounts that every commercial bank that's a member of the Federal Reserve System has at the Federal Reserve. And at the end of every day, they're all settling accounts and stuff. It's basically a checking account with a different type of dollar in it, the, the uh, bank reserve dollar. And uh, when the Federal Reserve wants to stimulate the economy through QE, and this, you know, this is what Ben Bernanke put forward, is that they need to uh, shove currency into the private sector by uh, buying assets from uh, private companies like hedge funds and, and pension funds and so on. And the Federal Reserve has to buy everything. It, it specifies that in the Federal Reserve Act that the Federal Reserve can only buy through the open market. And that's to ensure there's no favoritism. It's got to go through a bidding system. So there's this special open market that you and I can't use uh, that is called the primary dealers. There's usually between 18 and 30 of these uh, mega brokerage houses, and they can't be banks. It, it, the, the Federal Reserve has to deal through the open market. They, banks all have treasuries on their balance sheets. And to ensure that the Federal Reserve is not showing favoritism to one bank over another, giving them a special break and then charging another bank too much, uh, it has to go through a bidding system where all of these big, huge brokerage houses like JP Morgan and so on. Now, all of these brokerage houses are connected with a bank uh, over the, you know, it's, it's been a, more than 100 years. It's 110 years since the Federal Reserve uh, Act was passed. Uh, we're coming up on 110. Um, and um, 
And over this time, they figured out ways to evolve this. So uh, Bank of America Securities has Bank of America. Uh, uh, you know, JP Morgan uh, Securities has JP Morgan Chase. So they're all under a corporate umbrella where they're uh, actually conforming to the Federal Reserve Act's guidelines by not being a bank, but they've got a bank connected with them that's part of the same corporation. Uh, however, uh, the Federal Reserve says, I want to buy a trillion dollars worth of U.S. Treasury bonds and all of these different corporations, which also, under the Federal Reserve Act, have to uh, show up at the Treasury auctions and bid on U.S. Treasuries. But they can also buy those Treasuries from other banks. They can buy them from uh, a hedge fund, a pension fund. If you own a U.S. Treasury and you put it on your brokerage uh a platform and you want to sell it, it might be a primary dealer buying it to that's selling it to the Federal Reserve. You don't know. And that is how they conform uh, to the open market. But it, it creates asset bubbles. They are allowed to purchase bonds and mortgage-backed securities. When they purchase mortgage-backed securities, it pushes interest rates down. When they purchase bonds, it uh, per, uh, causes the price of the bond to go up and the interest rate that it's paying, the yield, to go down. And, uh, and that causes things, that causes the stock market. You know, in the book, I show in, in chapter four, which is online, by the way, so your viewers can go to ggsr21.com. That stands for Great Gold and Silver Rush of the 21st Century, ggsr21.com. And read chapters three and four, uh, they're online for free. Uh, there's no catch here. You don't have to put in an email address or anything. Just go there and read them. Chapter three is this very, very friendly tutorial uh, to teach you how charts can lie to you because it's very important that people understand how to read charts uh, and always view them with suspicion because it's very easy for the person to create, that's creating the chart to skew the data, to uh, make it, uh, prove his point, but I'll also skew your perception. Charts can lie, and you need to know how. Chapter three is easy, entertaining, fun. Uh, chapter four was the hardest chapter in the book, and I had to cut it from the, the chapter four. I had to cut from the book because it really wasn't done. I knew there was a banking crisis coming last year. I could just see what happened in in March and April of this year coming at us. I didn't know when it was going to happen. I was rushing. I, I had spent years on this book, years. And I had a researcher, a, uh, a, a spreadsheet analyst and chart maker and a uh, editor all working as a team every single day. And, uh, you know, I was working on it intensely in 2018 and 2019. And then uh, with COVID, the stock market crashed and I went, wow, it's all over. I just wasted years of my life. And, uh, uh, you know, I thought that that was the crash. Then they papered over that one. And, uh, and I started working on it again, 2021 and 2022, I finished it, but I was, you know, when you are looking at this data, when you're on the Federal Reserve's website every day and you're on the Bank of England's website and the Congressional Budget Office and you're looking at all of this data, it's scary. And I was becoming 
uh, scared that that everything was going to fall apart before the book was done. So I had to get the book out and I was trying to get it out in October of last year. And it was, uh, the most of the book was done, but chapter four describes how the banking, how the financial system works and how we are being stolen from and how you are enslaved. And my producer director, Dan Rubach would read it and he's going, he'd go, I've got PTSD, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder uh, because it was so, it's so hard to comprehend that they make it purposely complex. And the, um, it, so it's my job to try and break these very, very complex systems down and describe, describe them in very simple language so that the average person can understand this. And uh, it took, I think I rewrote chapter four 12 more times after the book was printed. And so that is one of the reasons it had to go online. I couldn't put it in the book when in October, it was still too hard to understand. And uh, it was something that just overwhelmed your brain. And I broke it into uh, eight parts originally, it's seven parts right now. There was one that I'm not sure of uh, and uh, called Doppelganger Dollars. And uh, I am trying to prove that right now. It may go back into chapter four uh, again someday. Uh, and so chapter four is not finished yet. It's an evolving piece, but it's, it's the one piece. If you read chapter four, you'll understand how the world economy, the financial system works, and you'll see how incredibly evil it is. You'll see that you have been monetized. Uh, this is what has pushed everything into the almost everything bubble, uh, because almost everything is in a massive bubble that needs to correct. One of the things that um, uh, in this book that I found, that my researcher found that nobody else has seen before is uh, there's two economists, uh, Dimitri and Kaspar uh, from uh, Europe that uh, did an intensive study on something called the Buffett indicator, the size of a country's stock market compared to the size of their economy. And uh, we've only got data, the best data that we've got goes back to the late 50s in the United States. Uh, and so most people that are presenting the Buffett indicator and it's got this slight upward tilt to it over time. Uh, the, some people will say, well, this is uh, natural and it's okay because the stock markets are getting more efficient and uh, you know other excuses. Well, it's not. We've just been in the bubble century for this entire century. It's been totally insane. They were able to take uh, 17 advanced economies uh, back to 1870, I believe. Uh, as far as the size of their stock markets compared to this, compared to the size of the GDP, and uh, the average is about one third. It never really exceeds fifty percent, and we were up at like two hundred and twenty percent of GDP uh, at the end. You know, the the bubbles. All of my charts in uh, the book in chapter four, chapter five, are um, charts of uh, when everything peaked because I was writing this in 2021, 2022, and everything really peaked at the end of 2021. It's starting to deflate now, but 
every bubble bursts, period. Uh, when you cause something to go into a bubble, you're warping the economy. You're transferring, stealing wealth from one sector of the economy and pumping up another sector because the true wealth is all the goods and services in society. It's not the currency that they create. That is a measurement tool and a temporary storage device for currency. So when they do this and they warp the economy and there's one sector, you know, so this is the economy here, all the different asset classes sort of being equal. And then they push something into a bubble. Eventually the free market overwhelms that. And that bubble, uh, if, if it's a, a bubble and they're trying through manipulation, it'll snap back and there's a crash and all of the Keynesian economists will scream, the free market isn't working. And then they will manipulate the economy even more, taking interest rates to zero or negative, creating uh, another few trillion bucks and uh, cause an even greater bubble for an even greater crash the next time around. Uh, you know, if you compare things to the amount of income that somebody has, uh, or you know, compare things to each other. If you, when you get the currency out of the equation by doing like the Dow gold ratio, you divide the points on the Dow by the price of gold or the same thing with your home or the number of work hours that it takes the average person to buy one share of the S&P 500. Then you can see what is clearly in a bubble and what isn't. And these two economists proved that uh, this whole century has been absolutely insane crazy as far as the bubbles go. And it's all been caused by the world's central banks and Ben Bernanke's theories. Yeah, a, a, the bubble century, as you put it. And I want to ask you this, because in light of these bank failures, and um, I sense that you probably expect there'll be more to come. Um, are you seeing, and, and this is just a more of a curiosity are you seeing like an uptick in business or interest at goldsilver.com of folks kind of seeking, as you put it at the beginning of the conversation, honest money, gold and silver? Just curious what you're seeing out there. Well, we did during the, uh, you know, when the banks were failing, but now that First Republic has uh, been absorbed by JP Morgan, everything has slowed down. And it amazes me that, I mean, if you read the book, uh, you can sort of see that there is a destiny out there. I'm typically early, uh, but so far, everything that I've said is unfolding. A whole bunch of the things that I predicted in my book, first book came true, and uh, but at a, on a much larger scale than I ever had imagined. I mean, the, the scale of what Ben Bernanke and uh, Jerome Powell have done is just horrific. And the thing is uh, that all of the energy that gets stored up from trying to paper over something that should have been balanced by the free markets. If the 2008 financial crisis was allowed to continue and things sought a, um, a reasonable level and all of the excesses flushed out of the system, uh, then we would have built, uh, the, the economy would have come back. There would have, the Recession would have been deeper and would have been worse, but the economy would have come back and it would have been healthy. Uh, they papered over all those cracks in the foundation and the cracks have only gotten bigger. And every time they do this, it sort of adds energy to this 
nightmare tangled web of complexity that the financial system has become. We keep on layering these. I mean, nobody can really understand it. There is so much going on with all these different financial instruments and, and uh, the way that currency is created. It is uh, just this super complex, but super fragile thing. Part of the fragility was caused by uh, protecting it against stress. Uh, when you uh, stress something over and over and a little piece breaks here or a little piece breaks there, you can redesign it. Uh, when you protect it against stress, but you keep on building complexity and, and making this thing uh, more and more unstable. And that's where we are right now. You're seeing the instability uh, being revealed in this. But with all the papering we've done with the trillions of, do the trillions of dollars that were created to paper, paper over this, uh, I believe that this time, you know, the last time, global financial crisis of 2008, we came within a few days of the entire world financial system freezing up. Um, and now we have countries uh, actively seeking to abandon the US dollar as the world's the uh, global reserve currency. Uh, the, um, this time around, I believe that we have the uh, potential of the whole system just completely freezing up. And that means that credit, you know, when banks don't trust each other and when they, at the, when they won't loan to each other, then there's more bank failures because at the end of every day, all the banks are uh, doing settlement. They're paying each other, but they're also borrowing and loaning to each other at the end of every day. Uh, if, uh, that doesn't happen if those loans are not made because uh, one bank thinks they may not get paid back by the other bank. The entire system freezes up. You can't get currency out of your checking account. Your credit card no longer works. That means that uh, you know the grocery stores can continue selling stuff for cash until they run out, but they can't do wire transfers. The gas stops coming out of the pump. Everything stops. It is a dangerous system. And you know you can opt out of it to a certain extent with precious metals, but uh, we are sort of trapped in this very, very dangerous, ultra complex system that we just get, you know, the Fed just created another credit facility. They, they keep on creating these different, you know, we had the TARP program and we had this and that. Uh, they keep on layering more and more complexity. Uh, take a look at reverse repurchase agreements. Now, the Fed used to intervene in the repurchase agreements market and repurchase agreements are a bank needs cash. It needs a short-term loan. It pledges a treasury that it has on its balance sheet to another bank or some other entity that is willing to loan it currency overnight. And sometimes these get rolled over. Sometimes it's a seven day or a one month or a three month loan. There are uh, even one year repurchase agreements, but most common, like more than 90% is these uh, 24 hour repurchase agreements. And uh, the bank is guaranteeing that it's going to repurchase this treasury. So it's going to give back the currency that it borrowed. Uh, it's going to give back a little bit more currency than it, it uh, got, uh, than, it, than it borrowed for the bond. And that's the interest. Uh, a reverse repurchase agreement is where a bank needs collateral for some reason, it doesn't need cash, which is a liability. It needs collateral, an asset. And uh, most of that is done through the Federal Reserve. 
and the there's over two trillion dollars of repurchase agreements and uh when the fed does a i'm sorry reverse repurchase agreements when the fed does a reverse repurchase agreement uh it is loaning collateral a u.s treasury to a bank and taking base currency from the bank's uh uh reserve account so it's taking some of that reserve a current currency and it vanishes when it goes on the fed's balance sheet it's no longer there uh however uh, the Fed owes that currency back and the, the bank owes the bond back to the Fed. Uh, but base currency should have gone down by $2 trillion and it didn't. <laughs> and so there's another uh, thing that they just introduced just uh, two or three years. I think 2019 was when reverse repurchase agreements exploded and went from just a couple of billion dollars all the way up to uh, over you know, 2.2 trillion. Uh, and this is another program that they are using to sort of smoke and mirrors, uh, keep uh, concealed the cracks in the monetary system, in the foundation of the monetary system. And I take so, it. Oh. Huh? I, I just, what I see is the potential for this all, you know, it'll start happening slowly, which is ha what's happening right now. And then there's going to come a day where it speeds up. And then if you remember the Lehman crisis, you didn't find out about it. The public did not find out about it until after the shotgun wedding had uh, not the shotgun wedding until after it was bankrupt. And they announced, you know, the Federal Reserve and the Treasury announces it. It's like Bear Stearns. You didn't learn about what was going on, that they were in trouble until uh, the uh, until the, the Fed had already arranged a shotgun wedding with J.P. Morgan. So, and JP Morgan gets to pick up those assets at just like one penny on the dollar, just like they did with First Republic. Yeah. Uh, the government guarantees it. So there's no risk on JP Morgan's part. The government, the taxpayer takes a loss. JP Morgan absorbs, uh, you know, millions or billions of dollars worth of assets. Yeah. When you mentioned Lehman, I remember exactly where I was when I got the phone call. Um, and I was an undergrad, I was in college when that happened, but I still remember exactly where I was when I learned about um, their collapse. I and guess, did you know about it the day before or two days? No, before? I was also, I was an undergrad. Yeah. I was heading to one of my journalism classes. We ended up having a pop quiz on it. Uh, so I was glad I got that question, right? Like which bank just went under? We had to know like news of the day. But yeah, Ben Bernanke yeah. was saying, don't worry, everything's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let me ask you this too, because, um, I kind of take it, um, and you write about this in the book, we're past the point of no return, aren't we? Yes. Uh, that is the reason that I think that this is, uh, this either the reset that the elites are hoping for, uh, happens, or there's a complete meltdown and implosion. And we start with something fresh but that meltdown and implosion is going to be very scary and a lot of people are going to be hurt the only people that will benefit out of it uh might be the crypto sector i have no idea or uh it i i do know that holders of precious metals will have tremendous amounts of wealth transferred towards them just based on history uh this has happened time and time again it has never happened globally before that's the scary part we are living through this 
grand experiment that nobody knows about. I mean, the average person doesn't know what's going on. There has never been a time in world history where all currencies have been fiat currencies at the same, same time, simultaneously. And all fiat currencies throughout history have failed. The currencies that exist now were all born on August 15th, 1971. All of the world's currencies basically changed format. They were no longer the same on the 16th as they were on the 14th. On the 14th, they were backed by gold through the US dollar. On the 16th, they were uh, promises to pay out of future tax collection. <laughs> I mean, we, that's, that was the day we decoupled from gold, uh, the 15th, when Nixon took us off of it. And all of the world's currencies were backed by gold through the US dollar. And that was no longer the case on August 16th. So every currency on earth pretty much changed at that point. So the oldest fiat currencies that exist were born on that date. And I believe the average lifespan is about 27 or 30 years uh, of a fiat currency, but there have been thousands upon thousands. I mean, there were actually uh, thousands in the United States during the free banking era when any grocery store or uh, uh, there were currencies issued by railroads, everybody uh, could issue their own currency. A, a general store could uh, uh, pay for things with a claim check that could been, then be used at the general store to purchase goods, goods and services. So uh, uh, there was actually, these currencies were worth less and less the further away from the currency's birthplace they got. So uh, if it was being used in another town or another state, there was actually a big book that you could uh, get to show all of the different currencies and, and see whether or not this note that you just got was a counterfeit currency. And it would have pictures of counterfeits along with the original uh, currency so that you could tell the difference. Uh, I can't remember the name of it right now, but I think it was in my first book. I yeah, I do like that about your books is you include a lot of history. And so it, they're delightful reads because it's not just about precious metals. You really do yeah. delve deep into history. Let me ask you this, because all of this, your thesis, it would bode well for precious metals, gold and silver, um, unleashing a massive bull market. What are you thinking about as it relates to that bull market? What could that look like? I don't know if you have price targets in mind, um, but how do you see that playing out? You know, uh, price means nothing and value is everything. Everybody wants to put, everybody wants a price in US dollars when it is actually the dollar going down, not, uh, I mean, it is gold gaining purchasing power. Gold and silver throughout the centuries have a purchasing power that uh, bounces up and down in a range. Currencies do this periodically. <laughs> they all go to zero. Uh, the, um, the, what, what I see is all encapsulated in chapter seven, and chapter seven is basically the point of the book. It's the difference between the 70s bull market and today. In the 70s, gold went up 25 times its initial price. Silver went up 41 times. Uh, the stock market went up like one and a half times, and, and, the, and real estate uh, went up like two and a half times. Uh, so uh, stocks, I mean, the Dow bumped its head on 1,000 points in 1966 and couldn't decisively break through until 1982. 
So it just, it was just like no return whatsoever during massive inflation of the 70s. And so the Dow actually had an invisible crash that when you adjust it for inflation, it crashed by 73%. That's huge. Uh, gold and silver made these massive gains where if you had sold a house at the beginning of the 70s and purchased gold, you could purchase almost 10 homes. It was over nine homes that you could purchase uh, in 1980. Uh, if you had sold a house and bought silver in 19, uh, in the early 70s, uh, you would then be able to purchase, I believe it's uh, 16 homes and had like $90,000 left, $60,000 left over to put in your pocket, something a little bit less than the cost of a single family median price home. But where I see it going is buying many, many, many times more stuff. Uh, the price, it all depends on how much currency they create, how how small do they make the purchasing power of the dollar? I've got something really cute here uh, that this is five Japanese centavos. I mean, look at the size of this. It's, it's uh, here is the large format US bill. And here's the wow. yeah. uh, a $20 bill from today. So this tiny little note five Japanese centavos in English, not in Japanese. I believe this was uh, used during Japanese occupation of the Philippines. Uh, and my father brought that, had, had this, uh, he was in, stationed in Europe in World War II, but uh, uh, the, uh, uh, this doesn't, I mean, I have a box on my desk that I'm probably going to take that, I mean, I've got currency from all over the world here from various times, and none of it purchases anything. It's not worth anything today except as a collector's item. Uh, some of these things are uh, worth something. So these come from all different countries. And uh, uh, as a currency ages, oh, and I always keep... I've got this uh, thing of $100 trillion bills oh, wow. in Zimbabwe. And there are, let me see, I've got another one here printed just one year earlier. So there's one year between these two bills. This is a one, and you could buy something with it. This is a hundred trillion and you couldn't buy anything with it. It was worthless. <laughs> Same currency being printed into oblivion in just a single year. And I believe that was the third time they had done that. And the public keeps on falling for this over and over and over. Yeah. During that period of time, uh, when people, do, people did turn back to gold, there were YouTube videos on it about how people would start panning for gold. And uh, uh, it gains tremendously in purchasing power because very few people have it. And right now, very, if you look at gold as a percentage of global financial assets, uh, people don't own it. But in chapter seven, I show some of the differences uh, that uh, the people that drove the price of gold from uh, uh, up 25 times and silver up 41 times that was 5% of the world's population from 19, August 15th, 1971 until the last day of 74. And then 
the U.S. It, it, during that period of time, from 1934 to the end of 74, it was illegal for Americans to own gold coins or bars. Uh, it was illegal for Australians until the last day of 75. So it was 5% of the world's population, North America, Western Europe. It was illegal for people to own gold or buy gold, and there were no exchanges. There were no markets setting the price. This is the important part. In the USSR, so Russia, all the Eastern Bloc countries, Mao's China, in India, gold coins and bars were illegal. Uh, people, they are the largest investors in jewelry, gold jewelry. Uh, uh, Mexico, South America, Africa were just absolutely devastatingly poor at the time. So there may have been a few people that could buy gold, but they weren't buying it off of an exchange. It had the price is set. Back then, it was the commodities exchange in the U.S. and uh, and London, and that was it. That's what set the global gold price. Well, today there's exchanges all over the world. And uh, there are now, because the entire world can buy, there are 18 times more people. And the OECD, the, the Organization for Cooperation and OE, Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, um, says that there is 55 times more currency that has been created since gold peaked in 1980. Uh, so you have, uh, 55, and there's billionaires. The number of billionaires, I mean, there's billionaires in countries all over Africa, South America. Uh, India has a lot of billionaires. Uh, the, the US, I mean, Russia, uh, China has more than 600 billionaires in it. And so when I published the, when I printed the book, uh, I was using data from Forbes, who said there was 2,788, I think it was, billionaires. And then the next month, WealthX came out with their report, said there were 3,200 billionaires. So in the book, I say that there's 18 times more people that can legally buy and have access to markets where they can uh, affect the price of gold and silver. Uh, they have 55 times more currency. There are two, uh, 200 times more uh, millionaires. There's 220 times more billionaires, but it's actually more than that. Uh, there is uh, uh, the stock markets are, I think, 39 or 49 times larger. The, the avail Oh, it's available. I'm sorry. 200 times more billionaires. It's 220 times more available consumer credit. Uh, and so uh, what I say, and, and then you have all of the light speed transmission of new, you know, back in 1980, there was only one financial program. Wall Street Week with Louis Rukeyser on PBS, and I believe that was on Saturday. So once a week, <laughs> and now it's 24 hours by, you know, thousands upon thousands. It actually, is when you include YouTube and stuff, it's probably yeah. different uh, sources that you can get financial information from. And instead of picking up the telephone, calling your uh, broker, and then he picks up his telephone and calls uh, his main office in, in New York or the Chicago Board of Trade and uh, places an order for you, which then goes to a trader on the floor. You can just pick up your an investor in Mongolia can pick up their phone and check the price of gold, get that news and place an order. They can create an, an uh, order on my website, goldsilver.com. 
and have gold instantly in storage at Brinks or uh, you know uh, several places on the planet. You can store. Uh, we we do storage for people and, and we deliver to your door and we can put gold and silver in your IRA. Uh, but this is a completely different world, and all it takes is a crisis that scares people bad enough, and you're going to see gold and silver shooting for the moon. Now, people are attracted to gold at first, um, and so you see the price of gold rise and silver lags. And so right now, we've got this very high gold-silver ratio, which means silver is undervalued compared to gold. Uh, but in late 79, Silver just uh, exploded in price and uh, way surpassed uh, gold's uh, percentage gains. Uh, and it was largely because of the public changing their preference from gold. You've got to remember that just uh, uh, eight years earlier, gold was 35 bucks, eight and a half years earlier. Uh, and now it's $850. So the average... Uh, so let's say it's uh, late November when, when people changed their preference from November of 79, when people changed their preference from gold to silver. Uh, the average guy goes into a bank and takes some currency out of his bank account. And his, you know, he, the average income in the United States was just a whisker below $10,000 back then per year. And so he takes out $500, which was a lot back then, and goes into a coin shop, says, I want to buy gold too. And they plop just one single coin in his hand. I had a coin handy here and now I don't. Uh, but uh, at that point, he goes, oh, is that all I can get? How much is the silver? Oh, you can get 50 of those for every one of these. And so he says, give me the silver. And that's when silver uh, went to where it was, instead of 1 50th of gold's value, it was 1 14th of gold's value. So that took the rise in the gold price and magnified it. Silver is sort of leverage to gold. And it will be again. It's in the 70s right now. Uh, and so it's way undervalued compared to gold. And when gold and silver peak, it will probably be somewhere less than 20. So if it's near 80 now, that means uh, silver will outperform gold by a factor of four. By the way, uh, people say that, uh, well, we can't use gold because it's too heavy and cumbersome. You can't lug around gold. <laughs> well, that one coin that I showed you earlier has a purchasing power of $2,000 and you can put it in your pocket <laughs> and you can carry it. It's easy. This is a tube of 20 gold eagles. And I can stick this, I can put two of these in my pocket and carry around $80,000 worth of purchasing power in my pocket and walk into a car dealer and buy a car. If you do that, there's uh, reporting rules though, where uh, the dealer has to report that you purchased something uh, with a non-cash instrument. Well, with if you do it with cash, it's got to be reported too. Yeah. Uh, it goes through... Uh, a bank like checking and stuff, then it doesn't have to be reported. Wait, have but, you ever have you ever done that? Have you ever bought a car with it? Uh, no, but um, you know when I when I first started, you know I I met Robert Kiyosaki, and uh, I started going to some of his events, and he put me he he saw that I knew a lot about this. I brought charts to one of the events, 
And uh, he put me on stage in front of 300 people twice. And then the third time, he put me on stage at the Los Angeles Convention Center in front of 5,000 people. And um, uh, he was, he had an, a, a series of events that were seminars uh, for presenting, how to train a presenter, somebody to present on stage. And this was three three-day courses spread out over nine months. So nine days spread out over nine months, and it was $9,000, and I paid in gold. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Not many people have, have purchased anything in modern times here with yeah. gold. Now, I'm not, like I said earlier, I'm for something that is honest and is not theft, fraud, and enslavement. Uh, I'm not necessarily for gold, but there is no reason that we couldn't put a certain amount of gold in a vault and then uh, give, you know, split it up into grams and nanograms and give every gram and nanogram a unique number and put it on the blockchain or, you know, some other distributed ledger technology such as Hashgraph, which is, if people learn about it, it's uh, safer, faster, more secure, uh, more scalable, uh, far more energy efficient than any other system. Uh, and, uh, um, and it's, uh, it, it, these, these people have no idea. They think cryptocurrencies are currencies. It's a speculative investment. But some of these things like Hashgraph could actually do things like running the, you know, if you put a program in to run the electrical grid, the traffic system, the water distribution system, uh, a whole lot of banking functions, uh, Wall Street, uh, government laws, patents, trademarks. Uh, and then you put this on distributed ledgers where there's a bunch of le ledgers that always agree all over the planet. It can't be hacked. Uh, it makes it extremely secure and securing the, uh, the energy, the power grid and the internet, and it can also make the internet much more safe. All of these uh, scams and so on um, uh, would not be, it, it would be like a security layer for the internet. Uh, and so the fact that you can record any event on a ledger that is uh, permanent and, uh, and stays there and it's distributed all over the planet. And if one of them gets hacked, uh, it's like out of the system. If, if something doesn't agree, it's, it's not in the system. So the technology behind that, that Satoshi Nakamoto introduced when he introduced Bitcoin, this is one of the most powerful things. And it, it already affects everybody's life on this planet, but it's going to affect your life even more. With, if, if central bank digital currencies come about, this is what's going to be tracking you through throughout your life, but it's already uh, uh, smoothing out distribution of goods and services by uh, tracking all of this. Uh, I believe uh, places like Walmart are already using this to track inventory and, and so on. So you can track, you can actually track something from uh, the mine where the, the uh, commodity is dug up and then turned into a good and then, uh, you know, so uh, and then all the way to the consumer. So uh, it's, it's something that can create a very bright or a very dismal future. And I talk about that in the opening of episode eight of Hidden Secrets of yeah. Money, where I teach people uh, 
what the technology is. Uh, people don't understand what a cryptocurrency is. And so this just breaks it down and shows you what it is. Don't do know you, how do I got like, off on that. Oh, but... no, it's interesting. Do, do you like a lot of, so I'm a millennial and um, a lot of younger generations, they kind of look at Bitcoin as digital gold. Do you buy into that? Do you, do you like right. Bitcoin? Well, this is what <clears throat> your, I think your earlier question is what, what do I see gold and silver doing eventually? And, and when, with this crisis that could get so bad that the financial system shuts down, we will need some sort of, uh, as long as the internet is still there and there's communications, we will need something uh, that can be easily uh, a transmittable payment system. And, but Bitcoin, you know, right now, I think uh, transaction fees are in the $20 region. And there's, uh, I can't remember how many uh, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of unconfirmed transactions are sitting in the, there's a, like an unconfirmed pool of transactions. And only so many can fit into a block. And right now the blockchain is uh, sort of at its capacity. Uh, so, and Bitcoin, each transaction burns the power that an, an average consumer an average American home would consume in, I believe it's 2.7 months right now. You can't use a monetary system like that and shift everybody over to that without having a couple of extra earths to power the monetary system that we're using on this earth. <laughs> uh, it's, it's not possible. But Hashgraph is something that can do that faster, uh, fairer. With, with Bitcoin, you're, on a large transaction, you're supposed to wait for six blocks. Each block is roughly 10 minutes. And it has to be slow like that in order, so that it doesn't start forking all over the place into a whole bunch of separate chains. Uh, when it's slow, it can be controlled and it's, it's safer and more secure. But you have to make sure that your transaction went through by it getting behind a whole bunch of other blocks. If a fork did happen, whichever side of the fork has more proof of work is the one that wins and the transactions that are in the other side of the fork and sometimes there's you know some of them are different they go back into the unconfirmed pool waiting to get into another block so you don't really know with each block uh your probability of your transaction being permanent becomes greater and greater. It's like 99.9% probability with the first block. I can't remember what it is, but it's a very high probability. So it's a, it's a good, safe, it's better than what we're currently using, the Federal Reserve notes and this uh, fraud and theft system. It is far, far better than that. Mm -hmm. uh, but with each uh, block, like your 99.7% certain and then 99.7% of, of that. And so uh, it, it continues to become uh, more and more secure. But with large transactions, they say you should wait for six blocks. Hashgraph is correct and permanent and immutable from the moment that it goes into the graph. It's not blockchain. It's a graph of hashes. Uh, and, uh, and so it's faster, fairer, safer, more secure. Uh, and since each um, event gets time stamped and then put into the graph, it's, it's fairer because you've, with Bitcoin, you've got this unconfirmed pool of transactions and you can actually pay 
more on your transaction to get it into the next block. And so with, with Hashgraph, it's just in the system instantly. And so within a couple of seconds, you, you know, you are, and, and it has greater capacity and as far, it's like 300,000 times more efficient than Visa MasterCard. And Visa MasterCard, Bitcoin, Visa MasterCard is, is like 300,000 times more efficient than Bitcoin. Uh, yeah, there's a couple of websites if you uh, just do an internet search for the energy efficiency of Bitcoin. Uh, yeah. You'll see there's one from Cambridge University and then another one that's uh, done in the United States here. Okay. Um, well, I, I, I didn't mean to. I was going to say, Mike, I, I don't know. You, you t I'm sorry. You talked about um, millennials, about younger generations. Trust, they trust, you know, they grew up with computers and they trust uh, uh, virtual assets, assets that don't exist in three dimensions and don't have weight and volume to them. However, most capital is owned by people that are over 50, not under 50. And Warren Buffett, if, if the, I've got it, if the excrement impacts the air acceleration device, <laughs> you have to sort of decipher that one. But if the stuff hits the fan, uh, then uh, people like Warren Buffett aren't, aren't going to Bitcoin. They're going to, and then, uh, you know, I just saw earlier that uh, somebody said that uh, Bitrex, which was the exchange that I used to use uh, until they decided to shut down their U.S. operations, has just filed for bankruptcy, uh, you know, Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. Uh, so um, uh, there does seem to be a concerted effort right now among governments all over the world to try to uh, stop cryptocurrencies. They're trying to block the on and off ramps to these exchanges that exist out there where you can actually turn. The, there's, there's not a lot of places, you know, in Venezuela, you can buy something from somebody else with Bitcoin. And uh, there's a couple of places on earth where you can do this. But in, in general, you have to buy, you have to convert your cryptocurrency to something, uh, to the national currency, and then you buy something with it. And uh, there, I mean, uh, Bitcoin has not worked out that well for all of the Bitcoin, the, all of the uh, miners and so on in China. I mean, they banned it and, uh, and they have, as far as the government's perspective, they've done a pretty good job of banning it. Uh, and so I don't know. I, I know that gold and silver will shoot for the moon when it comes to a major financial catastrophe. Uh, I don't know if cryptocurrency, I'm not certain if cryptocurrencies will, but I do have a significant, it's not, the majority of my wealth is held in precious metals. And I have used crypto profits since 2014. I mean, I, I bought my first Bitcoin in 2014, it was $1,000. I kept on buying all the way down to 250. There was a point where I was getting four Bitcoins every week. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, but I just, I, you know, right now there's this concerted effort to try and cripple them to give countries time enough to come out with their central bank digital currencies. And I think they see, uh, cryptocurrencies as competition. Yeah. So I don't know if they're going to do that. I do know that 
the people over 50 do not trust virtual assets as much as the people that are like, if, you, if you're 40 and under, uh, you grew up in a largely a cyber world. And so uh, those things do seem real. And, uh, and so, and that is part of what gives it value is just, but again, that's people's belief and faith in it. The value that backs up Bitcoin is the Bitcoin network. That is the true value is, is all of those computers uh, running, you know, they're, they're all um, mining Bitcoin all the time, but to mine Bitcoin, you gotta be running this ledger and making sure that your ledger agrees with all of the other millions of ledgers that are out there. And so it's this miracle system that Satoshi Nakamoto came up with. That is the value behind it. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I have to say, Mike, I've really enjoyed listening to you and learning from you. And I have even more questions, but I want to be um, mindful of your time. And I thank you so much. I want to give you a few moments if you would like to share where folks can um, obviously go pick up your newest book, um, read any of your work, watch any of your videos. Um, please take a moment to do so. And if you have any parting thoughts, anything that's top of mind for you that we didn't bring up in this conversation. Well, the main thing is that uh, if, if you can read this book, uh, it's not a big book. Um, it is full color inside. And so it was, it's an expensive book. It's, not, uh, it's $29 on Amazon right now, but it's because it's full color printed on very high quality paper. For its size, it's a very heavy book mm -hmm. uh, because of the coated uh, paper that it had to be printed on to uh, do this color printing with no bleed. Uh, anyway, uh, if you can absorb this, you'll under, you'll, it's best to know what's coming at you, no matter how horrific it is, because you can make plans, than to be just totally surprised by it. If you're surprised by it, you're going to be a victim of it instead of a beneficiary of it. And you can change from being a victim to a beneficiary by understanding it. And there's no place that you're going to find where you can get a more condensed version where you can hold all of these things in your mind at once. Uh, uh, so if you want to benefit from the crisis that is coming and protect yourself at the same time. So it's, it's you know, I, I've said that there are these rare times in history where the assets that are considered the safe haven assets also become the assets with the greatest potential gains in purchasing power. And we're in one of those rare times, you know, you look throughout the centuries, gold and silver bounce up and down in this range, but every once in a while, they protect you from a financial catastrophe. And when everybody else loses their wealth, gold and silver just shoot for the moon. And, um, and we are in that type of time right now. Uh, so if you go to Amazon, and you put in the great gold and silver rush of the 21st century, uh, that's where you can buy it. There's two chapters online for free at ggsr21.com. Get it there, uh, get those. And uh, uh, like I said, chapter four, it's hard, but if you look at, there's accompanying videos that I made. So there's a whole series of videos, but read the thing also. And don't move on until, you know, it's in, in seven parts right now. Don't move on to the next part until you sort of grasp and understand that part. Even if you have to ask somebody else, discuss it, uh, you know, uh, do a 
internet search on the topic and figure it out. And it's really important for everybody to try to figure out the monetary system right now and uh, do your best. But I, I caution everybody, <laughs> when you go down this rabbit hole, <laughs> it's, it's pretty creepy. It's an evil monetary system. And uh, it, you know, when I was doing research constantly on this book, it can actually get depressing. Uh, and uh, I got afraid that I knew there was a banking crisis coming and I had to get this book out before the next crash. And I did. Uh, I do not believe that this banking crisis is over. I believe that uh, the Bernanke bust ends with the entire system breaking. And, uh, and uh, the best way to protect yourself that I can think of is precious metals. So that's it. GGSR21.com, goldsilver.com, hidden secrets of money on YouTube. Well, Mike Maloney, founder and CEO of goldsilver.com and author of the new book, The Great Gold and Silver Rush of the 21st Century. I thank you so much for being so generous with your time and your ideas. Really appreciate you coming on, Mike. Hey, everyone. I really hope you enjoyed that video. Be sure to hit that like button, the subscribe, and that bell so you won't miss any new videos.